Welcome to Sales Velocity TV, where we pull back the curtain on how the top businesses in the world sell more with less resistance. Bringing over 50 plus years of combined sales experience and over 100 million in revenue generated, please welcome the hosts of Sales Velocity TV and two incredibly entertaining gentlemen, Andrew Cass and Aaron Parkinson. Hey, everybody, welcome to a unique show today called Tales from the Crypt. By the way, that's Aaron's title. So why don't you explain the dark, creepy title of today's episode? <laughs> <laughs> Our biggest mistakes revealed, right? Tales we, um, from the Crypt. I thought we'd do something a little bit different today uh, because I, so many people show up and we've got so many great listeners and so much great feedback and a lot of the times we're talking about tactics, we're talking about strategies, we're talking about the things that we do to move the needle forward. But Andrew, you're a big proponent of coaching and consulting and getting other eyes on your project. And, you know, when we're consulting a lot of people, oftentimes we're talking about how to avoid mistakes, yeah. not just create more scale or create more revenue or profitability. Because avoiding a big mistake might be 10 times more profitable than a tactic, right? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I, I've often said that a really good coaching program, we run one, or a consultant or coach to you is more valuable to you if they show you how to avoid expensive mistakes than just telling you what to do. Like anybody Agreed. can tell you what to do. And there's a piece of that. Obviously, that's that's obviously coaching, consulting, and third sets of eyes is here's what you need to do. But I think the biggest value is here's what not to do so you don't step in the same crap I stepped in. You can leverage my experience-based results. You can avoid my expensive mistakes. That's what we want to help you do. And that's the most value that you'll ever get out of a coach or a consultant or anybody in your life that is helping you get to the next level is helping you avoid the big mistakes because think how much time gets saved as a business owner or an entrepreneur, Aaron, when you can save maybe something that, that you, could, you could save three months with one bad mistake, a year with one bad mistake, a huge chunk of money if you know how to avoid one bad mistake. So this is about helping you avoid landmines. Yeah, and you said the word that I was going to use, which Land, is landmines. Landmines, yeah. Landmines, yeah. right? And so we thought, why not carry that through in today's show and, you know, peel back the curtain a little bit. Like, we're not perfect, right? If any, any entrepreneur that tells you they never make mistakes, in my opinion, is definitely not a successful entrepreneur because we no, try to make mistakes. They haven't done much. No, we try to make mistakes as fast as possible, learn from them and move forward, right? And, and so today, you know, we thought we'd come on and share some of our most cataclysmic, you know, mistakes that we had to learn from and share how you could maybe avoid the same and, you know, Andrew's really struggling to come up with some because he's kind of like the That's, Tom Brady, you know, he's like, I don't know if I've made any, but. Oh, we've I, made a lot. We've made, I've made a ton. And listen, <laughs> the greatest piece of advice I ever got was, you know, failure is feedback, right? I like that. Failure is feedback. A lot of people think failure is, you know. Like Doing a, something wrong. And it is. I mean, you messed up, but use the feedback, not the event. Don't let the event demoralize you. Use it as feedback to get to the next level, do what you need to do, right? So we've all made a ton of mistakes. I'll share one that was investment related. I've made many of those, by the way. Um, you'll share some that are more, I guess, tactical, business related, but we'll just bounce back and forth, come off topic a little bit today uh, before we move into a new series next week called Sale or Fail, by the way. 
which I'm looking forward to. Yeah, which by the way, if you've watched the show for a while, we do the sales prevention department quite a bit. Sale or fail will be kind of like that, where we're going to highlight examples of companies or entities that they get the pass, they get the sale. The sale is the A, the fail is the F, right? Meaning here's what they're up to, here's what they're doing. I have a great example, by the way, next week on a company. And shockingly, Aaron, shockingly, this will be a A plus sale as in, no sales prevention. They're doing everything right, and they're taking it to another level. And I can't wait to physically show you what's going on with this, uh, with this example next week. That'll be sale or fail. But today we're going to go off topic a little bit, like we'd like to do, uh, and really just kind of get personal a little bit and talk about some of the some of the landmines we stepped in, and maybe how you can just by having awareness to them avoid them, which again can save you a tremendous amount of time and money. Absolutely. So I'm going to start because I love to talk about my failures. I think they're hilarious. <laughs> And what do you uh, got first, man? How long do we have? Three, four hours here? What, what uh, I, oh, yeah. This episode could go <laughs> days, you know, days, oh, man, days, yeah. right? Um, I'm going to talk about one from the mid 2000s. Um, you were actually involved with me um, at that time. Can we go and back. Wait, wait, hold on. We go back that far? We do. It's 2021, do. borderline 2022, mid 2000s. This is like what, six, seven ish? Yeah. About that. Wow, man. That's uh, about that. That's and a we, long, um, it's a we long relationship. We were doing a product launch. Um, we spent about a year building it. Uh, it was an education uh, program that you and I were working on. We brought in some heavy hitters. You know, well, we people, brought in a heavy you know, hitter. You should. Are we allowed to say who we brought in? Oh, I my mean, face froze. Can you hear me? You did freeze a second ago. You did freeze. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, you're good now. My apologies. We brought uh, in a heavy hitter. Yes, we had uh, Simon Sinek, who's now got the most watched TED Talk of all time. The Start with Why. TED Talk. We had uh, David Bach. David who I Bach think was the focal point, obviously, the, the automatic millionaire guy. He was the he was the brand we were building behind from an education online online education standpoint. Cynic, yeah, had, Cynic I think, was an instructor within the content, right? Absolutely. If I'm not mistaken. And, and he, you know, Bach, ha, I think he has 10 New York Times bestsellers or something yeah, now, Latte Factor and all of those books. And we prepared this launch for three months and we got every large email database we could, every affiliate we could, um, every possible piece of eyeballs that we could and we planned for it all to coalesce into a one-day launch. Servers, right? were, servers were jacked up, right? I mean, the right... Or maybe I'm wrong. Well, I'll get to that in a second. I'll get to that in a second. Okay. So, so we said, we think, we think this is going to be huge, but we don't know. Mm-hmm. And based on the amount of work, because I organized all of the, the launch materials and all of the people that were going to email for us and all that kind of stuff, we, I was like, man, I think this is going to be the biggest thing we've ever done. And I got this feeling, you know, those feelings in your gut that you're like, something's, something's just not right. My spidey senses. Is it like, it's like the movie home alone, right? When they're on the airplane and they realize something's just not right. And they realize they forgot their kid. Is it that kind of a feeling? It it was that kind of feeling. Right. And, and I thought to myself, what could possibly go wrong here? And then I said, you know what, what if we get too many people to join our launch webinar and we crash our servers? which was a, a more common thing back then than it, it is now. Com- it was common back then. Yeah, it was common. You know, now yeah. less common, bigger servers, better technology, et cetera, et cetera. But this was mid-2000s, right? Right, so, right, right. 
I went to my partner who was our chief technical officer at the time. And I said, have you called the server company to make sure that our bandwidth is expanded for this launch? Cause I think it's going to be big. And he said, yeah, I have. And I said, okay, you know, so be it. And the feeling wouldn't leave all night. The feeling wouldn't go away. So the next day I said to him again, are you sure that you called the server company? And he said, yeah, I called the server company. I said, okay. And the third day, final launch day, if feeling wouldn't go away again. So I asked him one more time, have you called this? You just froze again, buddy. So guys, if you're watching, you, uh, you see Aaron frozen right there. As he was mid-story, I mean, this was good. He was mid-story right there. He was he was nailing. Are you there, buddy? You were just getting. I am. To the, you were just getting to the. I've never seen it freeze up. We're having technical technical difficulties. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about server difficulties. Can you? You're, you're frozen, but uh, I don't know if that's on my end, the studio's end, or your end. There you go. You're good now. You were just getting to the meat and potatoes of the story, actually. Am, am I back though? Is the you're, question. You're back as you were saying that um, you just had a, a feeling that wouldn't go away after your partner said, yes, I checked with the server company that we have the bandwidth. That's where we lost you. And we lost you again. Stand by. You're back. Ooh, something's going crazy with our connection today. I I, I think well, it's, I think we'll see it, if it it persists. Yeah, keep going. If you're, I'll let you know if it stops, and we'll maybe restart the show or something. But go ahead. You're good. Okay. Am I good? You're good. All right. So I left you on the cliffhanger, right? Yes, all of us, not just me. Okay. All right. So the final day, I asked, "Are you sure you checked?" And then he got mad at me. He said, "I'm the CTO. I'm your partner." Of course I checked. It would never put us in this kind of predicament. And then I felt bad, right? I felt like now I'm just being that guy that's being rude, right, to my partner. So I said, you know, on we go. Let's make this happen. And we launched that night. Can you hear me okay? Yep, keep going. Okay. So we launch. We send out all the emails, all coordinated, all perfect. And guess how many people showed up in the first 60 seconds to our presentation? How many? 8,000. This is not normal. Certainly not in the mid 2000s. What happened? Whole system crashed. It didn't just crash for a minute. It crashed for an hour. And I don't know if you remember, we were trying to restart it. Vaguely, yeah. For an hour. And we could not get it back online. And we could not get the people back into the presentation. And you and I know, Andrew, that if you get 8,000 people in the first minute, you're probably getting 20,000 over the next five minutes. Sure. And by the time we finally got to do the presentation, there was 222 people on this thing oh. by the time it finally reloaded. And I remember doing the math of what our projections were from this presentation um, later that night after I almost threw my partner out of the 
12th story of the, the, the New York building that we were in. And it, we figure it probably cost us somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to $25 million from that oversight on all of our parts. And I say all of our parts, and this is the key mistake that it's important to learn from, is that I knew it. I knew it in my gut. And when I asked him the next morning, did you really call and did you really find out? Because if he had, I wanted to hold them accountable, right? And he said, no. So he lied to you. I, he lied three wow. times. Over something and so, over something so, I mean, why would you want to lie about something like that? I, so I much is on the like, line. It's not even like it's anything. No, I, I never really understood the motivation to lie in that scenario. And he said, you know, I had checked everything myself. I had done the math. I felt like it was good enough. And I said, why wouldn't you check when I asked you three times? And he said, I, it's my bad. I just, I thought everything was good. Right. So there is one now, now you might be saying to yourself, well, that's not your mistake. That's his mistake. No, no, no. You always got to take personal responsibility, right? We talk about extreme ownership all the time. Sure. I knew it. I knew it in my gut and all I had to do was make one phone call to verify. And that one phone call would have made me an additional $20 million that day, let alone where that would have potentially gone in the future. Wow. Right? So that was one of those learning mistakes that I feel like I need to share with people because when you've got something, a product launch, um, a, a joint venture with somebody, a something that is time sensitive, right? A, a, maybe it's a live event that you're doing at a at a at a you know a local place or you know whatever. Something that absolutely hinges on the timing being perfect, right? You've got to check that ten times over. There is no amount of redundancy, in my opinion, that is too much that I have learned from that experience when it's something that's time sensitive that has to work at that exact yeah, it was moment. Saying, especially for a $1 million mistake that I'll never make again. Wow. Especially when it's a launch, right? When it's a launch, it's an event, right? So if you're an doing event, an that's event, the right word. It's, event yes, it's an event. This was an online event back then. Online events are more common today. I've done, you and I combined have probably done 500 plus live events. I would say combine you and I over the last 15, 20 years easily. Easily 500 plus yep. live events. I mean, I was running an event in Florida for, you know, every month for seven straight years. And there is so much that can go wrong, right? So I think the takeaway for you is if you have an event of any kind, online or offline, you've got to simulate that thing and simulate that thing a couple times so that that doesn't happen because it can be an extremely expensive mistake, as you just mentioned. I think of some of the big events. Was, think of some of the big people it was life out there. changing expensive for me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, for all you guys. Um, I guess the first question is, whatever happened to that partner? We're not partners anymore. I, I, I got that much. But, I mean, what happened at that time? I don't remember that piece because it's I, been a while. I said, to him, I said to him the next morning when we were discussing it and uncovering the truth, I need to leave now. Because if I don't leave, I'm going to open this window and throw you out of it. And then I left the building. Did he stay on as a partner? I don't remember who this was. You don't have to name names. It was it was the beginning of the end. Got it. It was uh, it, it was probably three to 
four months after that that I decided to part ways. It would, it would, it seems like that would be tough to recover from. It was like it was number one, the, the, the principle of the lie is probably as big as any of it. If he made a, a, a legitimate mistake and he dotted his I's and crossed his T's and took care of the tech and it happened because maybe the server, maybe it was the server, right? That's different. Sure. But the lie, the principle of the lie is on a whole new level. It's almost to me, it's unrecoverable, right? The, 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 yeah, the trust, the, the trust, trust is gone. Recover. It's unrecoverable. It makes no sense at that point. Um, yep. Okay, good. I, I, I look at to close the loop on the event thing or I look at. If you look at some of the events, I mean, there have, hasn't been as many events, obviously, in the last couple of years. But you look at somebody like a Joel Olstein, who, regardless yep. of your religion, he's probably the biggest Christian. What do they call the? What is he called? Is he a pastor? pastor. I guess right. He's a pastor, right? He's fifty, sixty thousand people strong on Sundays in a live room, with a million things that can go wrong. Insane. And and just he's been doing it for decades. I mean, and he takes his he takes his thirty minute segment and it becomes a podcast, and they chop it up and it becomes a best selling book once a year. It's really a great example of what we talk about a lot on the show, which is taking one piece of content and multiplying it. But really, if you what, what, from an event standpoint, if you watch the thoroughness that goes into the planning of the event, that's the lesson you want to look at. Right? Is look at some of the online events that you attend. Right. The thoroughness, the planning, the meticulousness, that's really what you're looking for. You're looking to model somebody who's doing a live event if you're doing a launch and, um, you know, see how mistake-free it is for the ones that are. There's a lot that aren't, by the way. You'll, you'll learn from the mistakes as well, but it's really fascinating to watch some of the, you know, some of the people that have nailed this, this event thing. You froze again, buddy, so I'm going to go into mine until when you come back. I think there's a – so Aaron's in the Cayman Islands, for those of you that don't know, and um, – I'm guessing it's a Cayman. Did you hear, hear what I said? You're even you're even a little fuzzy if you're watching on on video, folks. I think it's your I think it's your Cayman connection well, today. And the irony is is that we're talking about tech. It's amazing. Up your I was thinking the same thing. Like you just had you just shared a 25 million dollar tech breakdown as your tech is breaking as you're talking about the tech. <laughs> right. The irony is amazing. I'm gonna go to mine. Okay. So mine is, and it's funny. Right, we, we 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 touched on this in the last episode. We were talking about tough talk on money, marketing, and mindset. By the way, great previous episode. Tough talk on money, marketing, and mindset where in the previous episode, and you can go over to salesvelocitytv.com and see it. I don't, I don't know what number it is, but it's the one before this. We really dug into our philosophies on money and marketing and mindset, three elements that all great business owners have a pretty good plan around. That I touched on this last week, but I want to touch on it again today. It's, in, it's investing in businesses or ideas because they're cool in their vanity plays, but they don't have great economics behind them. This happens a lot. Think restaurants, think gyms, right? Restaurants is the one that comes to mind the most. People love the idea of owning a restaurant, and I've done it. I got into that into that pit a long time ago. I don't remember what year it was. I think it was around 2000. It was like around 2000, actually. So this is going back about 21 years, Aaron. I, you, you know my restaurant story, right? Me and two of my buddies... Yep. You know, good the guys I guys I was in the investment banking business with back in the in the late '90s. Um, we all made a good amount of money. We had an opportunity to own a restaurant in Union Square in New York City, which is some of the best real estate in the world. Union Square, New York City, nice little cafe. Um, they had good restaurant connections already. I didn't, so I was coming in as an investor, pretty much passive. But once in a while, we'd we'd jump in there to help out, and we socked a few hundred thousand dollars into this. And it was it was like we got chewed up and spit out at the at the blackjack table, right? In Union Square, costs, competition, not being on premises, and putting trust in 
chefs and managers that we don't know well that were on premises and just everything that could go wrong went wrong and it became a cash cow and we were in and out of that thing with six figure losses in like six months. We were young. You know, I was I was probably oh God, I was probably late twenties, early thirties, and they were even a little younger than that. So we were young guys. Good lesson to learn, by the way, early on, late twenties, early thirties, to not invest in things because they're cool and fun and have a vanity aspect to it. But, all, but absolutely must have economics to support it. Happens all the time. You, you mentioned in the beginning when we were planning the show, Aaron, it's that shiny ball syndrome. Get a little money in the bank, get a little confident, start throwing it at things. It's okay once in a while to play that game, right? But you got to yeah, be very fun. careful if you're investing in a business because it's cool and fun and sexy, but it doesn't necessarily have the economics to support it. Restaurant, The restaurant industry, any good restaurant owner will tell you, it's a racket. Even the best and the most ruthless. Yeah. And even the best restaurant owners and the richest in the business of restaurant ownership, they'll even tell you it's ruthless. It's a rat race and it's very tough to turn a profit. I have a good buddy. Um, there's a really nice like vegan vegetarian restaurant in my building connected to my building. I know the owner. We work, we're, we're at the gym at the same time. Super nice guy. And he's always talking to me about the, the, the business of restaurant ownership. Just it comes up because I'm always like, how are you guys doing? I love the restaurant. You did such a beautiful build out. I'm always in there. Are you guys making it work? There's so much competition in the area. Super cool guy. So I get a little inside baseball on the on the restaurant business from the standpoint of being in a very busy midtown Miami area where I live, where there's literally 10 restaurants that are all high quality in the same area. So you got competition. You have costs going through the roof now. Now, due to the, the inflationary environment that we're in, you have food costs going through the roof and you have delivery delays. So you have all these variables happening right now. And they're and barely wants to work. And, and and you're running into quality of people being hired. I mean, there's so many forces. I wouldn't you couldn't pay me to open up a restaurant business in this current environment right now because it's really tough. So so when the environment gets like this and you're already on a tight profit margin, it's a very tough business to be in. And, he, and they're barely making money, right? They're like just squeezing out some money. So but it probably sounded awesome when you got the chance to own a piece of restaurant real estate, so to speak. So that's one example. It's a metaphor for many. There are a lot of businesses that look amazing on the surface, but you need to go beneath the surface to see if that's the case. My lesson today. And I don't think it's just the economics of it, although that's an important lesson, you know, to really understand the economics of what you're getting involved in. Yeah. But it's also, I think Warren Buffett said, you should never invest in something that you don't understand inside and out. And his portfolio is very narrow. Yeah, because good, he great, understands great, great analogy. You know, he understands just a few things very well, which is why I only invest in a few different verticals. And you and I both know a guy, I won't throw him under the bus right now, that uh, in the the late 2000s to early 2000s made about $20 million online. And then he just decided I'm a, you know, business savant. Like I can, everything I touch turns to gold. And he invested, he, I was, he was talking about it probably about three months ago that he invested in about 20 different startups and, you know, crypto and this and that and whatever, and had $0 to show for it out of 20 startups. 20. Lost you, buddy. There you go. Am I back? You're back. He had 20. So did you, did you hear, did you hear the end? We only lost you for 20 startups, $0 to show. 20 startups, zero dollars, yeah, never nothing. turned a profit on any of them, basically, is what you're saying? 
Because he not probably, not. Aaron, is it, is, it, is it what I just said before? They all sounded cool to invest in, but there really wasn't a yep. good due diligence on the economics behind it, right? Yeah, and he just he was he, he was like, oh, I have money, and these are my friends, and they know what they're doing, and I'm an investor now, and I want to splash around, and this is going to be fun. And then he looks back on it, and he's got, he's down sixteen million dollars from wow. just thinking that he's it was cool. Wow. Yeah. And by the way, to piggyback off that, we are huge fans here of Shark Tank, which is in its like its seventh or eighth season. It is such an instructive show to watch. It's on CNBC. That's at least where I watch it uh, on weeknights. I think it's pretty much every night of the week. Yeah. I think it's seven or eight o'clock, nine o'clock, whatever. It is such a great show to watch. To so watch these entrepreneurs come up and pitch their idea and then have the sharks deconstruct the economics behind their idea, that's this conversation right here. It is the best learning experience on how to, I guess, value your own company, but also present your own company so that it will make sense to investors if that's the route you want to go, but more so so that it makes economic sense to you, right? And that's I love Shark Tank for that reason. Yeah, Mark Cuban's got a place here. It's one of my favorite shows. And and I think I'll end this episode today. You know, we'll probably end it early because for whatever reason, our stream is janky. Um, your stream is janky. Cayman Islands, give them a call. Yours is good. Give them a call. Yours is good. I won't throw you under the bus. Can you, call the, can you call the officials in the Cayman Islands and tell them to step things up, please? I'm on it. I'm on it. <laughs> but you can still hear me good right now, yes, correct? Yes, you're great right now, yeah. Okay. So the last one I'll end with is partnerships. Right. And this is one I had to learn on multiple occasions. But the one I'm just going to specifically talk about today is, you know, I was launching a nutritional company and I had two other partners and they wanted at the last second, we were only three months before launch. You know, we were a year into the, the preparation. They wanted to bring in a third partner because he had lots of money and he had a big following, big customer base, wanted to merge it together. All sounded great on paper. Can't argue with the, the logic behind it. But I had this feeling that he was a little off, like a little crazy, a little of a bit of a. You have good intuition, a, a, buddy. A, a, anyways, I, one thing I've noticed about you over the years, I've known you probably 16, 17 years now at least, is you have great intuition, and that's 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 an important piece of well, business ownership. I, I think it's because I don't know if it's better than anybody else's. I just I try to listen to it because of these experiences that I've had in the past where I didn't, and then it cost me, right? And we brought this guy on. We had a, a basically a pre-built in. 5,000 person customer base. He was bringing in an additional five to 10,000 customers for this launch. It was going to be an eight figure company overnight. And I didn't want to do the partnership. Just, I just felt like he was a loose cannon. Kind of late and he in the game cause too, right? Awesome. I mean, two outs in the ninth inning, a it new was. partner? It was, it was very ninth inning-ish. And then to make it worse, he had his own tech team. So he said, well, my tech team will, 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 will be in charge of the actual launch of this thing. And I was like, oh man, now we're like really all eggs in, in the, in one basket. And literally two weeks before he launched, we launched and we'd already told all of our staff and all of our internal customer base that was coming on and, and all that he was coming on. So we'd already let the cat out of the bag internally, right? Two weeks before we launched, he moved over to one of our competitors, big Ooh. press release, big payout to him, big, all this stuff. And, and he didn't even tell us, he just did it overnight. No, no notice whatsoever. Oh, man. So now we were in a position where our customers were questioning why he would go to a competitor. Can you imagine how that made us look? Oh, you know, like that credibility in the toilet, credibility in the toilet. Our staff was now freaking out, wondering why would our partner go to a competitor? Our launch structure had to be redone because he was going to be a part of it. And 
he pulled the plug on his, on, on the tech team to be able to go work on the other project two weeks before we we're about to launch. So now I had to scramble, bring in a new tech team, rebuild everything on a new platform, put out all these fires, all these, these PR related nightmare fires, pushed us back three months in our launch, made us look like complete oh my God. dumbasses. Right. And the whole time I knew this person was toxic. Right. But I didn't put my foot down. Second you know, time for you. Point. Second time. Right. Now, this too was big too big. That, that one might not have cost you as much money as the first one, but probably cost a good amount. It, it probably cost me years off my life because I was taking phone calls for months from people going, what the hell is going on? Yeah. And bad, bad PR um, on this one. Really bad PR. Right. And really bad tech headache to have to to pull that all together and, and so on and so forth. So when you're talking about partnerships slash joint ventures, people, man, this is, a you know, this is a people conversation now. It's a people it's so conversation, important. right? I'm now not, I mean, you're, you're one of my partners. I have one other guy that's one of my partners, but, but we've literally known each other for 16, 17 years. We know our strengths. We know our weaknesses. We know what we bring to the table. There's, there's nothing to uncover. If you're ever thinking about doing any type of partnership deal with anybody, you really need to put some type of buffer in place six months to a year, probably sure. to really understand who they are, what they're about, how committed to the project they're going to be, how reliable they're going to be, all these elements. Because once you're in the pool, you're wet. And it's one of the things that I, I do the most rarely now is take on any type of partner in any role. <clears throat> I think this is a really good topic. Is This is a people topic, right? If you Another great show I'll recommend, which actually isn't on anymore, but used to be. It was called The Profit. And it was one of those Shark Tank shows. Yep, I think great. they used to go back to back. Marcus Lavone is a really cool guy. I think he has a new show on, different brand now. But his big thing was going into a company and there were three things he looked at or he didn't even touch the company. And it was people, number one. It was process, number two. And it was product, number three. Right? So yep. people was number one. And this is what you're talking about. This is a people play. And I think the business owners today more than ever, they are quick to jump into partnerships. Almost like it's 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 like knee-jerk reaction, partnership, great idea, let's do it. And it's like... There's no real meeting thought process. Like you and I, you said it, you and I know each other 17 years. We own Pipeline Pro together, multi-million dollar company, users in 20 different countries. You know, we're a young company two, three years in, and we just had a lawyer button up a brand new operating agreement for us last week. I mean, yep. that's like, like, like we're still doing this stuff where you, yep. you and I probably didn't even need to because we have so much history and track record. But so few do the dotting of the I's and the crossing of the T's, the operating agreements, the vetting, the meetings. Like you said, I think the best piece of advice for you was let's do a one-year partnership. Let's create a one-year agreement. And here's what it looks like if it works out. And here's what it looks like if it doesn't work out after one year. So if it gets awkward or if we don't like each other or things go sideways, we know we're working within a one-year box and we're not going to end up in a two, three-year mess. Right. And it's almost yeah, like what happens. You see this happen in sports all the time. Right. So good players yeah. that are getting a little older, they might get a one year deal somewhere just to yeah. see if they work out. And then the deal can get renegotiated from there. I wish more entrepreneurs and business owners would do things like that. They'd be a little bit more calculated in the way they approach their relationships and the way they sign contracts. Right. In the sports arena, it's super dialed in, dotted I's, cross T's. Right. You sign a contract, your agent's involved, everybody's getting to know each other, there's multiple meetings, you do a one-year deal, a three-year deal, 
Treat this thing like you're a professional athlete. Treat it like you're going to sign on with a organization. Obviously, this being your organization at that point, but why not adopt the same thoroughness? Yeah, and one of my favorite sayings is expect the best, but plan for the worst. Exactly. It's, a, it's an old military saying, right? Prepare for the worst, yep. expect the best. You can look at it either way. Expect the best, prepare for the worst, right? Right. And that way, because you know what? You, 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 you don't want to be talking about what's going to happen in the divorce one year down the road, right? You want to be talking about what's going to happen in the divorce day one, but hoping that it's going to be a long, happy marriage. Exactly. Yeah. But putting, I mean, this is why people do prenups in marriages, right? Usually wealthier people, right? They want to just, God forbid, something goes wrong. But again, transparency, speaking about it, good communication, you know, let's let's have a contingency plan for it working out and let's have a contingency plan for it not working out. Those are just those are just real conversations that oftentimes are tough to have, but you have to have them. And I think Yeah, because people feel awkward about them. Yeah, it's very awkward for sure. Yeah. And and and, and don't be worried about someone being offended by you wanting to dot your I's and cross your T's and protect yourself and protect your own assets because you have to protect yourself first as a business Agreed. owner. No two ways about it. So I think we had a couple good ones here. We had a good tech example. We had a good don't invest where it's just a vanity play example. So a good investing example. And I think a great people example, how to assess people from a partnership standpoint. But I think you can apply that same methodology to employees and high-level executives you bring in as well. One of the things that, you know, I look at I look at my private client group and any time they hire, and, and we're the same way, any time they hire, because I'm thinking of the guys now, most of them have, you know, physical in-person employees, big staffs. They always do a 90-day hiring. It's all, Agreed. no matter how good the person is, it's always, it's a 90-day contract. And at the end of 90 days, we'll assess if we're a good fit. And then from there, we'll lock in something long-term or part ways and shake hands. And it's all on the table. They don't get into unemployment issues. They don't get sued because they've boxed in the relationship as a trial period, so to speak. It works extremely well. But one time I had a client not do it. He got sued. He got sued and settled with a guy for like 40 grand, um, something stupid, because he didn't have that in place. The, the one mistake he made, it comes to mind. So this stuff's yeah, really you important. Would go, you wouldn't go and, and, and meet somebody in a, in a nightclub and get married on the first day. Right. Right. Like yep. Use common sense. Yep. Yeah, use common sense, vet the process, no doubt about it. So three big lessons here from the crypt. From, from the crypt. The crypt. What does the crypt mean? This crypt is like crypt is like where they keep the caskets in uh, uh, in the cemetery. The, the deadly right? info. Yeah, got it, got it. Tales from the crypt. So three good ones here today, folks. Hope you enjoyed this. We're we'll, we're back next week with a new feature series called Sale or Fail, where we're going to highlight companies that are winning big, and you can learn from that or failing big. And as we said here today, you'll probably learn even more from that and learn about more mistakes that you can avoid versus what it is that you need to do. So all past episodes are over at salesvelocitytv.com. That's Aaron. I'm Andrew. We will wrap this one here. We'll see you on the next episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Sales Velocity TV is powered by Pipeline Pro the ultimate all-in-one sales pipeline management and marketing automation platform that makes all others obsolete. And we can prove it. Take a tour at gopipelinepro.com. See you on the next episode.